A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad to be with you today. Apologies, I was not with you on Thursday. I was uh, driving up to D.C. on a Wednesday afternoon for uh, Cameron Gray's memorial service uh, for a producer at uh, NRA News and good friend. Um, when I got a call from my wife, uh, who I had, she was at uh, a doctor's appointment and they, she told me, okay, doctor wants me to come in tomorrow. Uh, for some tests and a biopsy and stuff like that. So I uh, had to drop all of my plans for Thursday and uh, take care of that. Um, I know that a lot of you have been you know, following Missy's fight with cancer for almost seven years now, uh, and she is holding her own. So I do want to let you know that uh, she's doing okay. She is recovering, and uh, hopefully we'll figure out um, what else is going on here. It looks like the uh, the treatment that she's receiving is working for the uh, the tumors, but there's some other weird stuff happening that hopefully we'll be able to figure out in the uh, not too distant future. So appreciate all of your thoughts and prayers. I really do. They, uh, they absolutely mean a lot. Um, now listen on today's program, we're going to be talking about what's going on in Washington state, uh, including the, uh, bizarre and emotionally manipulative, uh, response from supporters of the uh, new ban on so-called assault weapons. Before we get into that, however, I want to share with you a wonderful company, and a a new sponsor for our program located in the center of the military universe, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. At Defender Ammunition, you will never wait weeks for ammo. Whatever you see on the website is actually in stock, and it ships the very same day. This is a pretty patriotic bunch, too. They source every component they can from U.S. companies to ensure that your dollars are going to support companies right here at home. Yes, Defender has exceptionally priced, high-quality ammo, but they're also great folks who fight for the defenders of our country. Everyone employed at Defender Ammunition is either former military or military-adjacent, and that's why they give back whatever they can to support charities for our beloved service members. Now, I've had the chance to fire some Defender Ammunition out in the field, literally my field, and I can testify that they are the kind of company that with quality products and American values that you'll want to support. The gun industry seems massive, but it gets a lot smaller when finding people with common American values. And if you want to try out some of their ammo for free, check out their brass exchange program. They encourage customers to trade in fired brass in exchange for a gift card. And as you can imagine, people love this, especially with how expensive everything is these days. So visit DefenderAmmunition.com and get to know a gem of an ammo company in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Check out all of the details on their brass exchange and more. And be sure to thank them for supporting Barry and Arms Gammon Company and go on to save on high quality manufactured ammunition. All right, so let's talk about what is happening here in Washington State. Uh, Governor Jay Inslee signing this uh, ban on so-called assault weapons into law. Uh, There is a grandfather clause, so those who possess these uh, uh, battlefield weapons of war whose only purpose is mass murder get to keep them, which is odd if that's really what Jay Inslee thinks about these guns, but whatever. Uh, The lawsuits have already begun as well. Uh, Farms Policy Coalition, Second Amendment Foundation filing suit within moments after this uh, lawsuit has been filed. Uh, And, you know, we've seen some polls around the country, uh, including one earlier this week, showing support for a so-called assaultance ban under 50% nationwide. So it's interesting that you are seeing uh, supporters of this ban, at least some of them in Washington State, sound awfully defensive about what's going on here, uh, including this opinion piece from, uh, I believe this was the, uh, yes, the Tacoma News Tribune's Matt Driscoll. 
who says that the uh, anger over the assault weapons ban in Washington State is not just about gun rights. No, no, no. It's about selfishness, he says. That's right. Yeah, if you're opposed to this gun ban, well, you're just a selfish SOB who cares more about your supposed rights, in Matt's opinion, than you do about the lives of children. He writes, quote, you know what? Forget about our fractured politics for a moment. While he continues to engage in our fractured politics. And instead, he says, consider what Washington's newest gun law will actually do. Just as important, contemplate the little it asks of citizens in return. In light of the tragedies we've seen time and time again, is there anything radical about Washington's ban on the sale of assault weapons? Of course not, he says. There's just a litmus test. Either you believe that your perceived individual freedoms outweigh the overall safety of society and our children, or you don't. It's that simple. Uh, It is, of course, not that simple. I say that as a father of five. I say that as somebody who has covered Second Amendment issues for nearly 20 years. I say that as somebody who grew up in Oklahoma and as a tween remembers the news about the Edmond Post Office Massacre, the uh, worst case of workplace violence in U.S. history, in which semi-automatic handguns, not so-called assault weapons, were the weapon of choice for that killer. I have uh, lived through the coverage of Columbine. I have studied the FBI's active shooting report for 2021, which showed that most mass shootings or active shooter incidents were committed by individuals using handguns, not so-called assault weapons. So, no, I reject the idea, first of all, that these gun bans are going to make us safer because I don't believe that we can ban our way to safety. I certainly don't believe that we can ban our way to safety by banning commonly owned rifles that are rarely used in crimes. It has nothing to do with selfishness. Even if I didn't own an AR-15 or multiple AR-15s, I would be opposed to these bans because I don't think that they are effective. In fact, I think they pay lip service to public safety. They allow politicians to say they're doing something without getting serious about fixing our criminal justice system, our mental health system, or dealing with repeat violent offenders. Driscoll uh, quotes. Governor Jay Inslee, who said uh, these weapons of war, assault weapons, have no reason other than mass murder. Their only purpose is to kill humans as rapidly as possible in large numbers. Well, again, if that was the case, then why are police exempt from Washington's gun ban? If the only purpose, according to the governor, is to facilitate mass murder, why on earth are we ensuring that police officers uh, have AR-15s? and other so-called assault weapons. Again, if the only purpose is to facilitate mass murder, does Governor Inslee want law enforcement to commit mass murder? Or could it be that, in fact, there are other reasons to own an AR-15 other than I want to kill as many people as possible? The answer, of course, obviously, is yes, there are. There are something like 25 million modern sporting rifles in this country, owned by, again, millions of law-abiding Americans. And these guns are not used in a large number of crimes. In fact, according to the FBI, more homicides each and every year are committed with fists and feet than with rifles of any kind. We own these firearms for self-defense, 
We own them to hunt. We own them to recreate. We own them because it is our right. Now, that doesn't mean that we care more about our guns than our kids, as Driscoll claims. That's a false assumption. Many of us, including many of you listening today, own firearms precisely because you love your kids. And you want to be able to protect not only yourself, but your family. If, God forbid, you ever need a firearm. If someone comes in your house in the middle of the night, somebody tries to carjack you when you're at a stop sign, you have the right to armed self-defense. And Washington State's gun ban infringes on that right. But it also, again, impedes your ability to protect your loved ones. Driscoll says, um, it is amid this backdrop that opponents of Washington's ban on assault weapons trot out the same tired arguments in response. Guns don't kill people, they contend people do. And besides, the only ones likely to be affected by any new gun regulation are law-abiding citizens. Criminals are criminals after all, and no new regulation or restriction will solve all our problems. If somebody has the will to kill, they can find a way to do it, no matter what their weapon of choice. Are there elements of truth to these arguments, Driscoll says? Well, sure. Let's get out of the way now. For a mass shooting to happen, objectively, it takes somebody to pull the trigger. And yes, under the new law, responsible people looking to buy a weapon will have fewer options. There's also little question that reducing gun deaths in America will take more than new regulations without addressing the pain and despair that contribute to violence. You're only halfway there. But there's also, he says, what the research and common sense tells us. And juxtaposed with the me-first objections from the right... But the contrast reveals about the battling priorities at stake in our national gun debate shouldn't get lost in the noise. First of all, note that in the straw man arguments that Driscoll comes up with, there really isn't actually a me first argument. There's not a me first argument in um, uh, the idea that I'm uh, going back to a straw man argument. Uh, guns don't kill people. People do. Well, that that's absolutely true. And that's not a selfishness argument. Right. That's a reality argument. It's not, it's not a gun that pulls its trigger. A knife doesn't plunge into somebody's sternum all by itself. You need someone to commit that act of violence. The other uh, argument that he raised, uh, the only ones likely to be affected by any new gun regulation are law-abiding citizens. Again, and he admits that that's the case. So how is that a me-first argument? If you say, listen, this law that's supposedly designed to stop violent crime is actually going to impact law-abiding citizens instead. That's not a me-first argument. That's a you're-pointing-in-the-wrong-direction argument. You're not doing what you claim you're going to accomplish because you're pointed in the wrong direction. Now, Driscoll says, uh, we were talking about the data. He says, well, uh, the data accumulated during the 10-year period when quote-unquote assaultments were banned in the U.S. is mixed and complicated, as it usually is, if not inconclusive. Researchers generally agree on two points. I love all of the caveats he has to put in place, <laughs> right? Uh, okay, so the data is mixed and it's inconclusive, but uh, researchers are generally, which means that not all researchers agree on this, but he says that uh, researchers generally agree on two points. Americans were less likely to die during a mass shooting when quote-unquote assaultments were banned, and among developed countries, the United States, with its lax laws and politicized cultural gun fetish, suffers from a much higher rate of gun deaths than most. Logic tells us that access to guns and the widespread availability of weapons like AK-47s plays a part, acting as an accelerant. There are many ingredients in a tragedy. If you subtract one of them, even every other time, it saves people's lives. So in other words, under Matt Driscoll's theory, 
every gun control law is valid. Every gun control law is useful, and particularly if it restricts the ability of law-abiding citizens to access their Second Amendment rights. Because at the end of the day, according to Matt Driscoll, that's the only way that we can reduce violent crime, or at least the single most effective way, is to infringe, again, on people's right to defend themselves. Now, we can and will disagree with those assertions. Um, The United States actually has a higher homicide rate for non-gun involved homicides than most developed nations, too. It's not really something to brag about, but it is still the truth. So, yes, even if you were somehow managed to eradicate 400 million privately owned firearms in this country, our homicide rates would still be higher than those of, you know, Western Europe, which, again, suggests that maybe the problem isn't the inanimate object, but the individuals who are perpetrating these violent crimes. I think it's also uh, ridiculous to say that, well, uh, you know, listen, if we just have new gun laws, then uh, it makes the problem go away. It doesn't. Look at our southern neighbor. Mexico has one gun store. One. That's it. It's located on a military base. As a uh, citizen of Mexico, you are entitled, upon the proper screening and review, of course, to uh, go to that gun store on the military base and uh, purchase a a handful of uh, models of firearms. Um, Not really what a U.S. gun store looks like. Meanwhile, the homicide rate in Mexico is about five times that of the United States, despite all of those gun control laws. So why, why does Driscoll think that if we somehow manage to eradicate legally owned firearms, that we would look more like France or Belgium than Mexico? Because I don't think that's the case at all. Again, I think if you eradicate the ability of law-abiding citizens to exercise their Second Amendment rights in a nation with 400 million privately owned firearms, the criminals are going to be the ones left with the guns. They're not going to give them up. They're not going to go away. There would be an incredible imbalance of power between those who would illicitly obtain and use firearms in crimes of violence and, again, the 100 million-plus Americans who were previously exercising their right to keep their arms in self-defense who would then be disarmed and helpless or be criminals themselves because they dared hold on to their guns. Again, this isn't selfishness. This is reality here. The reality is we're not going to ban our way to safety. If we did, well, when Washington, D.C. banned handguns, we would have seen evidence of violent crime dropping. That's not what happened between 1976 and 2008. In fact, after the Heller decision came down, homicides in Washington, D.C. came down as well. Chicago's handgun ban in place from 1982 to 2010 did nothing to stem the rise in violence in that city. In fact, the highest crime rates in Chicago history recorded at a time when handguns were banned in the city. Again, this isn't an argument about selfishness. Our Second Amendment rights matter. They are important. I think our rights are fundamental, and we should treasure them. But it's not an either-or. You don't have to support your rights or your kids. You don't have to support your ability to keep and bear arms or public safety. You can do both. In fact, I'd say we're better off when we do both. When we recognize that another law slapped on the books doesn't necessarily make us any safer, particularly, again, when it restricts our rights to protect ourselves. 
and instead maybe take a look at uh, how laws that are already on the books are being enforced. Take a look at the amount of plea deals that are offered on a daily basis. Take a look at what happens to repeat violent offenders. We could start there. Something that, by the way, I don't think Matt Driscoll, and I certainly don't think uh, Democrats in uh, Olympia want to talk about. You know, it's fascinating. While Matt Driscoll's making this argument that, you know, if you don't support a gun ban, by God, you're selfish. You care more about your guns than kids. You're willing to see kids murdered. That's his, again, that's his emotionally manipulative argument, right? The only reason why anybody would be opposed to a gun ban is ultimately, at the end of the day, they don't give a damn about other people. They only care about themselves and their quote-unquote rights. So what what would Driscoll say about another move that Washington State Democrats have made this year? A move to uh, virtually decriminalize all drugs in Washington State. Not just marijuana, which, by the way, I'm firmly in support of, but all drugs. The Washington State Legislature uh, acknowledged the public health, or excuse me, uh, uh, this is from, um, hang on one second here, let me get back to where I'm going. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from uh, KIRO in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, and they note that um, Seattle is the latest city in the state to tackle, uh, tackle drug possession laws after state lawmakers could not agree on a compromise following a state Supreme Court ruling in 2021 that made the state's felony drug possession statute unconstitutional. It's been a misdemeanor ever since, but that is set to end, and drug possession will become legal statewide on July the 1st. And again, the same Democrats in Olympia who passed a ban on so-called assault weapons, which are not used in a lot of crimes in one state, have now voted through their inaction to decriminalize all drugs in Washington state, including drugs, by the way, that are responsible for an awful lot of deaths. So KIRO in Seattle says that the uh, city council is introducing their own uh, local legislation, quote, acknowledging the public health crisis of substance abuse disorder and uh, providing a new tool to engage those using drugs in public. News released about the legislation noted that last year in Seattle, there were 589 overdose deaths with the majority attributed to fentanyl and methamphetamine. 589 overdose deaths. That's more overdose deaths in Seattle than homicides in Washington State. Think about that for a second. And again, rather than getting tough on the traffickers of illicit drugs, on those who are peddling these uh, deadly cocktails, the same Democrats in Olympia who voted to ban so-called assault weapons voted to legalize, in essence, uh, these deadly drugs. This new ordinance under consideration in Seattle would make uh, using a controlled substance in public a misdemeanor outside of marijuana. But it does not cover drug possession. Um, this uh, press release says, Our hands-off approach to people using illegal drugs in public has resulted in rampant street crime and a death toll rivaling that of COVID-19 in Seattle. Complacency is no longer an option. Cities have laws and enforcement to dissuade activity that is harmful to oneself and to others, from speeding in school zones to unlawful possession of firearms, and public use of deadly drugs should be no exception. Again, public use, right? 
So as long as you're ODing in a home somewhere or a restaurant or a Starbucks bathroom, that's cool. No problem there. But uh, just don't shoot up on the street corner. That, that, that's where the problem lies, according to uh, the lawmakers in Seattle and in Olympia. So I would ask Matt Driscoll, if the only reason to oppose a ban on so-called assault weapons is because of selfishness, then what does it say about those Democrats who are now allowing drugs that have killed nearly 600 Seattle residents over the past year? To legalize those drugs. Selfishness? Inattentiveness? Callousness? Or maybe Matt Driscoll would say, well, listen, um, banning drugs doesn't work. We've tried to ban drugs. We need a harm reduction approach. We need to deal with the root causes. We're never going to eradicate fentanyl from our society. So instead, we have to deal with these individuals who are addicted. We need to try to get them help. We need to try to ensure that there are consequences for drug traffickers. But, uh, but, but you know, listen, I mean, just trying to ban fentanyl and ban heroin and ban all these drugs, that's not working. That's what we hear from the left all the time, including a lot of those same folks who say that we then need to turn around and ban the most commonly sold rifles in America. Yeah. So in Washington State, they are doing a, uh, a interesting experiment here. Banning AR-15s, legalizing fentanyl. <laughs> and I got to tell you, uh, Matt Driscoll may think it's uh, unselfishness that is uh, leading to these results. I think it is more a toxic blend of um, anti-gun idiocy, progressive politics, and a lack of common sense. But you know what? We'll check back in a year. We'll see what's happened to the drug overdose rates in Seattle, as well as what's happened to the homicide rates. And I got to tell you, I have a feeling that the uh, legalization of fentanyl and other deadly drugs can have a much bigger impact than um, the new ban on so-called assault weapons in terms of public safety, and not, by the way, a positive impact. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Before we do, however... Uh, we got to talk about what's going on with the banks. It is absolutely crazy these days. Can you imagine what this is going to do to the retirement savings of America? Now, I want to tell you what I heard from Augusta Precious Metals. Gold buying is on fire right now because people want gold IRAs to protect their retirement savings. And get this. If you have 100000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. That is a big deal, a pure gold coin for free. So reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and learn how you can get started with gold. Don't let bank failures get you down. Get this free gold and get some peace of mind. Just call 855-222-4997 to learn whether gold can help protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 855-222-4997. Again, 855-222-4997. So, in today's uh, recidivist report, uh, we're taking a look at something that uh, happened in Chicago, the uh, website CWB Chicago, reporting on a, a man who fired shots and then killed a woman in a, a car crash out on felony bail, according to prosecutors. Uh, you might see the number 76 there uh, on your screen. That's because CWB Chicago keeps track 
of the number of individuals who are out on felony bail who have been arrested and accused of committing more violent crimes. And this is number 76 this year. Although this case goes back to 2021, uh, as they report, it was October 3rd, 2021, when a Toyota Camry rolled to a stop at a red light at uh, Demen and Irving Park. Driver fired several shots at a car that was two lanes over, then sped away, only to run a red light a half mile down the road, and they collided with an SUV, killing a woman inside. The driver then got out of that car and then ran away. Uh, on Wednesday of this week, prosecutors said 38-year-old Alonzo Wilson was the person who fired those shots and killed 37-year-old Janelle Gardner in the car crash. And they said that Wilson was out on felony bail for a Class X narcotics charge at the time. He had skipped court, he had skipped court about 10 days earlier. He also, by the way, had four previous felony narcotics convictions. Now he's charged with murder during the commission of a forcible felony, aggravated discharge of a firearm, as well as failure to report an accident involving death. I don't know why he's not being charged with felon in possession of a firearm. But as CWB Chicago reports, he is the 76th person accused of killing or trying to kill someone in Chicago during 2021 while out on felony bail. The cases involve at least 113 victims, 32 of whom died. Um, during Wednesday's hearing, his uh, public defender said that Wilson has been working as a busboy for about two years. Uh, no violent crimes in his background, uh, although he, again, has the uh, multiple drug arrests. Um, and uh, when he was arrested, actually, on a, a warrant for a pending drug charge back in February, uh, he was carrying another gun, uh, even though, again, not eligible to uh, carry one uh, under uh, existing state and federal law. As CBB Chicago points out, the actual number of murders and shootings committed by people on felony bail is undoubtedly much higher than the numbers uh, they, that they've been able to report. Since 2017, they say, the Chicago Police Department has made arrests in less than 5% of non-fatal shootings and only 33% of murders, according to the city's data. Think about that. In the past six years, 95% of the non-fatal shootings in Chicago have gone without charges. Two-thirds of the homicides in Chicago don't result in an arrest or a criminal conviction. And yet, again, what did Democrats in Springfield spend their time on this year? After imposing all kinds of uh, uh, bail reductions and other criminal justice reforms, quote-unquote, that were designed to uh, enable and uh, uh, protect um, those accused of violent crimes, uh, and often at the expense of their victims, they didn't. Look at these numbers and say, God, this is awful. We got to do something to make sure that there are more officers on the street. We got to do something to maybe bolster the witness protection program so that people are not afraid to speak out and speak up out of fear of retaliation. No, we got to ban magazines. We got to ban assault weapons. Even if it's constitutionally questionable, even if we know we're going to get hauled into court, that's what they spent their time, their resources on. And you know, I'd say that this is selfish on the part of politicians because they're looking more at that press release. They're looking more for public relations than they are public safety. Because while they're wasting time passing ineffective and unconstitutional gun control laws, criminals are literally getting away with murder. Not just some of the time, most of the time. And when it comes to non-fatal shootings, 
5% of the time, maybe, there are legal consequences. And what do those legal consequences look like? When 97% of cases end in plea bargains and only 5% of non-fatal shootings are getting charged in the first place. Yeah, if you get caught in Chicago, having shot somebody, first of all, you probably did something wrong if you got caught, right? Because most of the time, people are getting away with it. But even when you're arrested, the odds are in your favor that a plea deal will be offered and it will be on terms that are very favorable to you as the defendant. Again, it's not selfishness that um, makes me opposed to these gun control laws. Yeah, we have a right to keep and bear arms, and I don't want to see that right taken away. But when it comes to public safety arguments, I think gun control is the least effective way of trying to aid public safety. So no, why would I support something that I don't believe is effective and I do believe is unconstitutional? Especially when I know that there are better ways to address violent crime. There are better ways to deal with repeat offenders. There are better ways to protect the public than trying to ban our way to safety. Speaking of self-defense, let's talk about today's armed citizen story from Philadelphia, by the way, where um, Democrats in uh, Harrisburg on a uh, House committee have advanced several gun control proposals, including a red flag law, universal background checks, a lost or stolen measure that would actually criminalize the victims of violent crime if they don't report their firearms lost or stolen within 72 hours. Thankfully, in Philadelphia, you also do have a number of armed citizens, growing number of armed citizens. And uh, one lawfully armed citizen was able to protect himself during an attempted armed robbery earlier this week. According to uh, authorities, a 25-year-old man with a concealed carry permit was walking in the area of 15th Street and 70th Avenue just before 7 p.m. on Tuesday night when a uh, 32-year-old identified as Jamal Reeves got out of a burgundy Ford sedan and announced a robbery while pointing a gun at the armed citizen. Philadelphia Chief Inspector Scott Small says the 25-year-old then pulled out his own gun, fired multiple times, striking Reeves three times in the torso. An unidentified woman inside the sedan then drove off. Reeves was uh, taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead at 7.23 p.m. on Tuesday. Police Department spokesperson said on Wednesday that the 25-year-old not expected to face charges because, again, lawfully armed and acting in self-defense. 25-year-old described as a resident of the neighborhood. He waited at the shooting scene until police arrived. He was cooperating with investigators. Police, by the way, found 10 spent shell casings at the scene. It wasn't clear whether Reeves had fired any shot. We've uh, seen, you know, judges say, well, uh, bans on large capacity magazines, they're fine because, you know, the, the average defensive gun use, uh, less than three rounds are fired. So, I mean, if the average defensive gun use involves less than three discharges, um, well, then a 10 round magazine should be plenty. In this case, sounds like uh, the concealed carry holder may have very well have emptied his 10 round magazine. Um, thankfully, there was one assailant, but we've seen, you know, plenty of stories here, armed citizen stories. Involving multiple attackers, multiple assailants, and a single-armed citizen. Uh, in which case, 10 rounds might not nearly be enough to respond to the deadly threat that is presented. Uh, in this case, I'm glad that the armed citizen is okay and unharmed, uh, and that 10 rounds was enough for him to protect and defend himself. Uh, no word on any arrests of the uh, armed robber's accomplice, and again... 
given the clearance rate in Philadelphia. Don't know that we will actually uh, get any news on that, but uh, hopefully, maybe with the help of surveillance cameras, they can identify the uh, license plate. Chances are that uh, car was stolen, but uh, we'll keep our eyes open for any details to this story uh, if and when they become available. Finally today, our uh, good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a South Carolina man uh, in Chicago on a work trip, along with colleagues, ends up uh, helping to save the life of another. This was a, a car accident caught on camera. Uh, in the uh, Chicagoland area. And again, um, thankfully, there were some good Samaritans, including uh, Tanner Stutchen and four of his colleagues uh, who saw what happened and were able to respond. They were on their way to meet a colleague for dinner on Monday night. They took a wrong turn and they ended up on a highway. Uh, that put them right alongside a, a crash on Route 53. As they were driving towards the crash, they decided, we can't just drive by. We got to stop. Uh, Tanner Stuckin says uh, without hesitation, like I couldn't believe it, just took off and we went for it. Uh, the five men in the car split up to ten of the drivers in both cars. One of those vehicles actually engulfed in flames. Stuckin says they couldn't see through the shattered windshield because of the fire inside, but when they opened the front door, they realized that somebody was still in the vehicle. Uh, Jarrett Powers tried to get the driver out of the car as the flames grew larger. Powers said he didn't want to move because it hurt so bad, but we kind of tried to move and he started to yell. He was in pain. At that point, the fire has engulfed almost every part of the car except for the driver's side. Uh, and the group able to pull the man out minutes before first uh, responders arrived, before the flames took over the whole car and, and just fully engulfed that vehicle, undoubtedly saving that man's life. I'm, I'm sure that at the time, he might not have appreciated uh, what they were doing, given that it, it, it hurt. But um, again, if they hadn't done this, that car was fully engulfed by the time first responders arrived. If these guys didn't stop, the driver would be dead. Tanner Stuckin says, you know, I would just hope that if there was ever one of my friends or family that was in a crash like this, that there would be people who would stop and help. I think we all hope that that would be the case. But I think we've also sadly seen so many stories where people just drive by. Or even worse, they stop, they get out of their car, but they pick up their phone and they start recording instead of helping. So yeah, in the right place, at the right time, but also willing and able to do the right thing. So um, these five individuals, Jared Powers, Tanner Stuckin, and uh, the other three gentlemen who were just out to dinner, Ended up saving a life. We thank you for your very, very good deed. All right, that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being with us again. Uh, apologies for the confusion about yesterday, but glad to be back with you today and looking forward to being back with you again on Monday as well with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. And of course, in the meantime, you can always check out BearingArms.com. We got you covered throughout Friday and all weekend long as well. I've uh, got some great posts by my colleagues, Tom Knighton, John Petrolino, Ranjit Singh, uh, as well as uh, some posts from me. If you like what you see, also would encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. News stories and analysis that matters because your support matters. And we appreciate it very much. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday. Until then, be well. Be safe.
and be free.